0: how's everybody doing today all right somebody's good back there i like that i like noise hey in a few minutes we're going to dive into mark chapter 2 mark chapter 2 so if you want to turn there in advance if you don't have a bible with you that's okay we'll have the scriptures on the screen i want to talk today about healing but i also want to talk about superstition healing and superstition um if you talk about healing there's so many teachings and aspects of healing we could talk about that i really can't do justice to this topic in one service and i I probably over the next several months will address several different aspects of healing but i really felt in my heart i wanted to address this today and i'll tell you why a little bit later in my message but as you in this message today i want to tell a story several years ago i heard the story about a, a young lady who went to college And of course, when you go off to college, the first thing that happens is there are professors who want to make you think. And so if you're a person of faith, they're going to challenge everything that you believe to see what you really believe deep down inside. So this young lady went off to college. She was a believer. She'd been raised in church She had faith in God. And so this one professor began to challenge her faith and just kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And finally he said, do you really believe God can do anything? And this young lady said, yes, I can. And he said, okay, how about this? Can God make a mountain so big that he can't move it? And she didn't know what to say. So that weekend she went home and she went to her pastor and said, I need to talk to you because I I have faith but I ran into this problem and I don't know how to answer this professor's question he said what's the question said well he wants to know if if God can do anything can he make a mountain so big that he can't move it and the pastor looked at her and said you go back and tell the professor yes he can but he's not that dumb (laughs) now why do I start with that today because I'm gonna ask you several questions today what I really want to know is, what do you believe? What do you believe? In the Old Testament, God asked the prophet Jeremiah this question. God said, "Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me?" And I want you to ask yourself that question today. Today, I, I want to ask you, what can God do? What can God not do? Which leads me to the next question. It's a bigger question. What will God do and what will God not do? You see, the answer to those questions determines how I'm going to navigate life, how I'm going to navigate the problems of life, and really how I navigate issues of my own faith. It's all affected by what I believe God can do, but more importantly, what I believe God will do in my life. In this debate, what will God do? What can he do? What will he do? It's been going on in the church circles for all of my years of ministry. And it continues today. But I want to address a little bit of this subject from an angle of faith. If you ask me questions about faith, I'm always going to err on the side of faith. Because with God, faith's a big deal. And I'll get into it more in a few minutes. But let's begin today with a story from the Gospels, Mark chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole story, but let me set it up for you. Jesus has gone into this house. He's teaching. His reputation is beginning to spread and grow. People begin to gather in this house until the whole house is filled. Of course, houses in those days are different than our houses today, built differently, constructed differently. The sizes were different. But this whole house is now full of people. But people keep coming, and soon people are looking in the windows and people are standing at the door and there's a crowd of people not only jammed into the house but there are people all around the house trying to see and hear what Jesus has to say so as Jesus is teaching along comes these four men and they're they're carrying a stretcher and on the stretcher is a man who's paralyzed we don't know the relationship with these guys. It might be that everybody in town knew this guy. But this man is paralyzed. He cannot move. He can't control his body. And these four men are bringing him to see Jesus. But when they get to the house, the crowd is so big they can't get inside. And it's just like it is here on Sunday mornings. There are so many people in the house, people can't get in late. Not exactly true. But people are saying, you know what, I got here early to get this seat. Some of you sitting up on the top row. I know you got here early so you could get that seat. I know, that's how we do. But these people are all standing around. No, you can't have my spot. No, you can't get in. We got here first. We got our position. You're just going to have to wait. So these four guys go up on top of the roof. Many of the houses in those days were designed and built so that there were stairways up on the rooftop. So they go up on top of the house and they begin to rip the roof away. you get a picture of this again construction was different in those days but they're ripping a hole in the roof and the people inside are looking up at this commotion as the roof gets ripped away and then these guys lower this cot down this stretcher down in front of jesus carrying this paralyzed man now look at verse number five mark chapter 2 verse 5 let's pick up the story when jesus saw their faith notice those words jesus saw their faith the four men he saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven you and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts scribes were religious guys who recorded the law and interpreted the law they wrote all kinds of memorandums and books trying to tell people what to think about god the scribes are sitting there and they begin to reason in their hearts and they ask this question verse seven Why does this man Jesus speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Now notice this, verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power literally authority on earth to forgive sins Jesus says to the paralytic I say to you arise take up your bed and go to your house and immediately he arose took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all now there's more to the story written but I'm gonna stop right there I want to take just a couple of minutes and I want to look at this story And I want to show you four things that I think are really important. Number one, notice the faith of four men. The faith that they had that produced action. Scriptural faith cannot be separated from action. Scriptural faith is a verb, it's an action word. These four men believed that Jesus could change this man's life, so they brought him to Jesus, And when they couldn't get inside, they ripped away the roof and let him down in front of Jesus. It says when Jesus saw their faith, he began to minister to the paralyzed man. Now, let me take one minute here. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, there are basically two things that move Jesus. One was compassion and one was faith. But if you read all the stories that are recorded, most of the time, Jesus is moved by faith rather than compassion. Because faith is a big deal with God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because those who come to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's written throughout Scripture at least three times, Old Testament and New Testament, that we are called to live by our faith, not just come to God once by faith, but then learn to live a life of faith where we believe God for the things that he's promised to us. So faith is a big deal to God. But not only that, evidently, if you look at these four men and what they did, these four men believed if they could get this paralyzed man to Jesus... Jesus could heal them. But I think it goes beyond that. If you look at what they did, I think these four men believed if we get this man to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. Now think about that. If we can get this man to Jesus, Jesus will act. He will heal him. Jesus saw and he acknowledged their faith and then he responded with healing. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was always moved by faith. When people came expecting he would heal, Jesus acted. Now, let me show you the flip side of this. On the other hand, in Mark chapter 6, a little bit later in Mark's gospel, Jesus is in his own hometown. They know he's the carpenter's son. They know who he was growing up. Many of the people know him. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. He's beginning to minister. But it says that Jesus in his own hometown couldn't do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. And it said that Jesus marveled. Jesus was like, I can't believe this. I'm here to change people's lives. But it says he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What a contrast, faith and unbelief. A second thing I want you to see in this story, when Jesus began to minister to this paralyzed man, he first ministered to his spiritual need. He ministered forgiveness. You see, it goes in my mind, it goes in your mind. They let this guy down on a cot in front of Jesus He needs a miracle he is bound he cannot move he's paralyzed it stands to reason the first thing jesus would do would heal his body but instead jesus ministered first to his spiritual need he ministered forgiveness to him and i think for us who live by faith for us who trust god we often overlook our spiritual needs and we tend to focus On our physical needs. But my spiritual need, if it goes on in time, can create a major spiritual problem. And oftentimes we come to God and we're concerned about this and this and this. But God first wants to deal with spiritual needs and spiritual problems. I think it's safe to say God is more interested in my spiritual need than he is my physical need. But for us, it tends to be the other way around. We want the physical first. But then there's a third thing I want you to notice. Jesus spoke forgiveness to the man, ministered to his spiritual need, but then Jesus also healed him and ministered to his physical need. Did you know that God cares about every area of your life? Did you know that? Did you know he's concerned? You know, some people live with the philosophy, well, I came to God, I gave my life to Jesus, now I'm kind of on my own until I get to the end of the race and I get to go to heaven someday. We're called to a life of faith that we might always see God's hand involved in our lives. But I think sometimes, sometimes we overlook the fact that when we deal with problems and needs, God is concerned about every area of our lives. If Jesus cared then... Don't you think he still cares now? We need to consider that in our own hearts. And and then the fourth thing that we see here, when Jesus spoke forgiveness and then he healed the man and he got up off his cot and picked it up and carried it home, when this all happened, there were all kinds of different responses in the crowd. If you'd interviewed everybody who walked away that day, you would have heard different responses. You say, how do you know that? Because in the three Gospels that record this story, the way it's written, each one, the verbiage is just a little bit different. I think it depends on where the disciples were standing, what they heard, what they saw. Because when God does something miraculous, we never have the words to really get our hearts around it. Our minds can't really comprehend all that God does. Now, why did I say that? That day, many people saw the power of God and they responded in different ways. The religious leaders are all over here arguing and debating, questioning the power of Jesus. And when religious leaders are arguing, it leaves people in a position where they begin to question and they begin to develop their own ideas about God that may not even be scriptural. Now think about that today. If this story happened in church today, all right, let's just imagine, let's imagine our back upper seating. Let's imagine it's lowered a little bit. Let's imagine this roof is quite a bit lower. One of our pastors is up here teaching and all of a sudden there's a big loud noise and we look up and somebody rips away the sheeting on top of our building and they begin to let this guy down on a cot in front of us. And the pastor who's teaching stops and just reaches out and prays for him. And suddenly God works a miracle. What do you think you would hear afterwards if you went outside and interviewed people who walked out? What did you see today? You would hear all kinds of ideas. You would hear all kinds of responses. If you asked those people, well, what does this say to you? What does this mean to you? It would mean different things to different people. That's what happened there that day. And I think in the church world there is so much confusion about God's desire to heal, God's will to heal, God's ability to heal because of all this confusion and all of this confusion tends to lead to superstition. Well, let me show you what I mean. Let's talk about healing and superstition for a few minutes. Throughout the Bible, we read stories of God performing miracles, amazing healings, even raising the dead. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, it was filled with the miracles, especially healings. You see it constantly. Jesus promised that the things that he did would be done in the church generation after generation. John 14, 12, Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater things you'll do because I go to the Father and I'm sending the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that empowers me will empower you. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said amazing signs would follow those that believe. And one of the things he mentioned was they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God could heal and that God still has the ability and the desire to heal today because Jesus promised it would continue in his church. So now let's let's bring this down to home. I told you I'm going to ask you several questions today. Can God still heal? Can God still heal? Does he still have the power to do that? Well, we would say, of course he does. Okay. Then let me ask this question. Does God still heal? There are a lot of philosophies about this. Let me, let me just stay here one minute. When I was a kid, I experienced God's healing power. I'm not going to take time to tell the whole story, but I experienced it. As a teenager, I experienced God's healing power. A couple of times in my life, God healed me. A couple of times as a teenager, I saw unbelievable miracle healings in church. So I've seen these things since the apostles. So I would say yes, because from my experience, I believe God is still healing today. But then having said that, we move to the next place. What do you believe? Can God still do this today? Does God still heal today? Well, can I tell you that in the offices here at the church, we regularly hear stories of healing. People say, I came for prayer. People prayed. We believe God healed me. We hear stories still. So my answer to you today is yes, because we hear the stories of God's healing. But when we talk about healing and God's power, there's a lot of superstition in the world, and there's a lot of superstition in the church. What do you say? Well, what do you mean superstition? Well, we used to quote from Webster's Dictionary. How many of you remember Webster's Dictionary? So you're, you're dating yourself now. And and me, being a cutting-edge guy and a young man, I don't want to be old school. So I have a definition for you from dictionary.com because if it comes off the Internet, it must be true, right? So I'm going to shorten it, but here's what it basically says. Dictionary.com says superstition is a belief or a notion that's not based on reason or knowledge. In other words, you believe something, but there's really no real basis for it. There's a lot of that that happens in the church world, especially in the area of healing. And I do not believe that God wants us, his children, to live with superstitious ideas about him, his will, or his ability to answer prayer. But if we do not have sound biblical knowledge regarding God's willingness to heal we will develop false ideas and superstitions it just happens now let me give you an example of this in Jesus day in the story we just told you out of mark 2 the religious leaders had their opinions and their responses to what Jesus was doing and it separated people from the power of god instead of just giving glory to god they questioned what was going on and it caused people to have questions can i tell you today in our church world the responses of religious leaders still create continual debate and disagreement still happens today in jesus day the religious people questioned everything that jesus did now they didn't question his miracles so much because They saw the miracles. They couldn't deny them. But they questioned Jesus' authority because his authority threatened their positions and their power. For example, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You can't forgive sin. Only God can do that. They questioned his authority to do things. But here's the point I want to come to in all of this. There's a difference between superstition and faith. Big difference. Superstition is based on someone's idea, someone's experience, someone's opinion. But faith is based on God's Word. I'm going to show it to you. Romans ten seventeen. Faith, the Bible kind of faith, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Of God, In other words, when I hear the word of God, in the DNA of God's word is faith. And when I hear that word and I embrace that word, faith begins to grow. God gives to every man a measure of faith when he hears the message. But what we do with that faith determines how it affects our lives in the future. I can grow my faith by getting into God's word and letting his word create more faith. Or I can shrink my faith by saying, well, I'm not sure about that, so I'm just going to throw it aside. What I do with faith, what I do with God's word determines what happens with my faith. Faith is a result of knowing God's Word. Now, let me show you something here, because I'm going to dive into something that's really important here in just a moment. When I was a kid, some of you, when you raise your kids and they're little, you read these fairy tale stories to him. Like, at, at the end, well, the handsome prince kissed the beautiful princess, and she awoke, and they lived happily ever after. We grew up with that thing that there is this encounter that somehow something supernatural happens and I can just live happily ever after. How many of you would just wish that the day would come when something would blow up in your face and you'd live happily ever after and never have any more problems? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's not how life works. And I think sometimes that mindset spills over into spiritual things. And we run into a problem. And if we don't see a miracle from God as soon as we ask, what do we tend to do? We walk away and say, well, I guess it's just not God's will for me to receive from him. And we give up on things that God has promised. Now stay with me. What do you believe about divine healing? Why do you believe that? What is it based on? Somebody's opinion? Somebody's idea, a church's teaching, a pastor's teaching, or is it based on Scripture? What do you believe about healing? What do you believe about what God can do and can't do? Let me go back to Jeremiah 32. Is there anything too hard for God? What can God do? What can He not do? What will God do? What will God not do? What has God promised to do in His Word? And then we come to the great controversy. Here it is. Is it God's will to heal everyone? Big question. If you talk about healing, it's always the elephant in the room. Is it God's will to heal everyone? Because if it's God's will to heal everyone, then why isn't everyone healed? I have an answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know why everyone isn't healed. Why do some people die before their time? I don't know. Why do some people live with sickness and disease? I don't know. But none of that changes the promise of God's word. And if I let ideas and other people's experiences shape my thinking, the only thing I believe is, well, I don't know if it'll work or not. Now, l- let me illustrate it to you this way. Because in a crowd this size, I know this will hit home. How many of you saw that somebody won the Mega Millions jackpot? Yeah, yeah, a billion and a quarter dollars. How? I, I will not want to show of hands, but how many of you bought your ticket? I bet there's at least $1,000 worth of tickets bought in this room but you know what happens in life if we don't have a clear belief about what God can do and will do in our lives prayer becomes like the lottery well I'm gonna go get my ticket but I don't know if it's gonna win or not that's how we see healing that's how we see prayer yeah, God may answer he may not now I know Now, listen closely to me. I know that not everyone who's prayed for is healed. I know that. But here's the thing, and this is a whole different sermon. Scripture gives us a lot of reasons why people aren't healed. You can take me to an individual person and say, why isn't this person healed? I will tell you, I don't know. But Scripture does tell me reasons why some people don't receive healing. And and there are a lot of reasons. Can I just give you two real quickly? Check my time here. I'm in good shape. Two reasons why. Number one, the first one, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 that one of the reasons why people don't receive healing is because they don't understand where healing comes from and they don't approach it seriously. Now let me explain this to you. In context he's talking about people taking the lord's supper what we would call communion the 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 bread and the cup and in this passage in first corinthians 11 paul is saying when you have these times where you get together and take the lord's supper, supper some of you are just making a big party out of it some of you are drinking and getting drunk and doing goofy stuff all in the name of the lord and then you take the body of christ and you don't even understand what it's about And he mentioned it this way. He said, you're partaking of it in an unworthy manner. And he goes on to say this in this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, that's why some of you are sick. And that's why some of you have died. Because you didn't discern the power and the might of the Lord's body. The importance of it. What he's saying is, if you don't take what Christ did on the cross seriously, you will never take healing seriously. Because Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. If you read those verses in Isaiah 53 and you look at the original root words, in much of it, he's talking about our sickness, our pain, and our disease. And it says that our healing flows from the cross because Jesus' body was broken for our healing. But if we don't discern that, and if we don't understand it and grab it in our hearts, it tends to make us not believe God and expect God to answer prayer. Can I give you one more example real quickly? Jesus taught that one of the reasons why people don't have answers to prayer is because we have unforgiveness in our hearts towards other people. Jesus said, if you're praying and you've got unforgiveness in your heart, don't expect God to answer your prayers. You need to go make it right, then come back and talk to God, then God responds to you. See, it goes back to the man on the stretcher, the paralyzed man. Jesus first dealt with his spiritual need, then he could deal with his physical need. Now that's just two examples and there are a lot more in scripture i don't have time to go through it all i'm not telling you today those are the only two reasons i'm telling you those are two of the big reasons but i don't know why some people aren't healed i've seen wonderful precious people die before their time and i don't understand it but there are a lot of things that happen in this life we will never understand until we get to the other side that's not the only thing in life we don't understand Isaiah 55, God says, my ways and my thoughts are up here. Yours are down here. You just don't know how to think the way I do. God knows things I don't know. God does things I don't understand. God allows things I cannot comprehend, but does not change the fact that he's God and I'm down here and I'm trusting him. It doesn't, doesn't change any of that. doesn't change my faith. So, So let me bring you to this, okay? I'm getting close to the end for those of you who are looking at your watch, thinking about hurrying and getting to Richie's Diner. I'll be finished in a few minutes. Where's Corey? Is Corey in here? Or is he with Zach? I should have said Sizzler. There's a story behind that, too. See, here's the problem. In the church world, we're asking the wrong question. As individuals, we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, what is it God's will to heal everybody? The question should be, why would God not be willing to heal me? Why would God not be willing to heal me? And here's the problem. You saw it in Jesus' day, we see it today. Religion tends to resist what it cannot produce. So if a church goes through five years, 10 years, never see a healing, well, let's not talk about healing because we don't see much of that anymore. I don't know how to get us to that place. Let's just drop it and leave it alone. Even though we know God can, there's no sense teaching it because we don't see God doing that. So we just drop it. Everybody smiling at me? I can only see those down front. (laughs) There we go. Come on, Joe, smile at me. What did I just say? Don't make fun of me. I had a birthday yesterday. I'm a year older. Okay, so, so uh, I'm not. Notice my verbiage. I'm a year older. I didn't say I was old. I said I'm a year older. But here's the thing. Religion, if it doesn't see something produced, it tends to just move away from it and not talk about it. But I'm a pastor. There are people in this congregation who are hurting physically. They need healing in their bodies. Well, I've I've prayed before. I don't know why God hasn't answered, but I'm not going to give up. As long as you're alive, I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep believing with you. We don't need to give up. Now, go to James chapter 5. I want to read one more passage of Scripture real quick, and then I'm going to close. What a lot of people don't know is God has given us instructions of how to minister to those who are sick. Did you know that? God has given us instructions on how to minister to the sick. But a lot of times we don't know it because it's not really taught in our churches. I love love James' writings, the book of James, because James was a pastor, he pastored the church in Jerusalem. The thing that's cool about a pastor is he preaches messages and then he has to live with his messages. Traveling ministers, online ministers, they preach their messages and then they don't deal with people all week. You're a pastor, you deal with people. James was a pastor and when he wrote, he shot straight to the heart of matters and he addressed problems as they were. And he gave guidance. James chapter 5, here's what, what James says, beginning at verse 14. First, he asks a question. Is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? If so, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then he attaches two more verses here, and I'm going to read them. Elijah, Old Testament prophet. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit one of the things we do at the bridge church is we have prayer teams who are available after every service to pray with people for any kind of needs any kind of needs we will pray with you we will stand in faith we will believe do you know why we do this it's because james 5 tells us to do this i'm convinced if we do what god asks us to do god will do what he said he would do i'm not going to give up because somebody's life didn't work out the way i hoped it would it doesn't change god it doesn't change his promise his word or his nature but let me show you two things real quickly number one he gives us instructions is anyone sick Anybody sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, lay hands on them, anointing them with oil. Because God works when we do that. Now, here's the question people have. Well, who are these prayer teams? Who are these people? Okay, how did they get to an elder position? Can I tell you, if you study Scripture in the New Testament, elder was not an office Elder was a function. It was people who were experienced in faith who ministered to other people. It wasn't just older people. It was younger people too. But they were people who believed God, who trusted God, and who ministered to people within the church. In our church world today, a lot of churches have elders as positions and offices. It was not necessarily an elder office in the New Testament. It was people of faith who believed God. So here's what we do in the bridge Church. We have prayer teams, people of faith, people who believe God, people who know God can and God will, who believe that God will do it for you. And after services, they are here stationed to pray with you for any need you might have. I've had this happen through the years. After service, somebody comes up and grabs me. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. These prayer teams, I don't know that they can do this, but I want you to pray for me. Only, Only the pastor can pray and really get healing. That's superstition. That's not Scripture. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. And sometimes people have an anointing to pray prayers of healing that I don't have. I know I'm making you really think with me now. But I believe, I believe that if we do what God asks us to do, God will do what He's promised to do. And then the last piece of this, it tells us that God ministers forgiveness and healing it says let people if you're sick come to the elders of the church let them pray over you anointing you with oil and the prayer of faith and they're not going to pray a prayer of just sympathy but they're going to pray a prayer of faith that god will heal you the prayer of faith will save the sick the lord will raise them up and if they've committed sins they will be forgiven in other words in that process by you coming in faith humbly and acknowledging that those people are servants of god god will begin to minister to spiritual needs as well as physical needs and it might even be as you come for prayer you might admit you know what i've got sin in my life i've not been living the way i should but i come today to tell you i need god's help God responds to that honest heart of faith reaching out to God if I do what God asks me to do I believe God will do what he's promised he can do so in closing today if we know God can and we know God still does then why don't we believe God will and why don't we position ourselves by faith to allow God to do a work of healing in us? What would happen if we simply took God at his word, followed his instructions by faith, and had faith for healing? I mentioned earlier, throughout the Bible, we're told to live by faith. We're never told to ever stop living by our faith. We live from glory to glory, experience to experience by faith bow your heads I want to pray for you this morning father I thank you for your word it's your word it's your truth and I thank you today that you're challenging us to simply be people of faith to believe you and then let you be God in our lives to obey your instructions and let you work father I pray today that you would encourage people's hearts that people's hearts will expand in faith and not shrink That people will be encouraged to believe you for more. All that you've promised, not just some, not just pieces, but all that you've promised, all the promises you made, will embrace them and will act in faith to receive those things. Father, if there's anybody in this room who has never committed their heart and life to you, I'm asking you to grab their heart today. Let them know you love them, you care about them, every aspect of their lives, and you want to be involved as their God. Turn their hearts to you in Jesus' name heads are bowed for one more moment maybe you're here today and maybe you've never committed your life to God maybe you've never prayed that prayer and said God I need you but today you realize God's real his power is real and I want to learn to trust God I want to start a journey of faith with him it all begins with words with a prayer God knocks on your heart and you open the door with words of faith and say God I need you I'm going to pray a prayer right now, and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody in the room, if you're watching online, pray this prayer with me. It'll help open your heart and faith. God will become the God of your life. Pray this prayer with me. You can whisper it. You can speak it out loud. Just say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus. To become the lord of my life i give everything to you i will learn your ways i will follow you you will be my father i'll be your child thank you receiving for receiving me i begin my journey of faith with you in jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer it's the most important prayer i believe you can ever pray in your entire life but it's not the end of the journey it's just the beginning of the journey we want to help you on your journey of faith so when service is over we've got a little gift we'd love to give you it's a simple little booklet called the next seven days with a little bit of information to read each day that'll help you grow in this journey of faith Two ways you can get it when service is over you can come up to one of the prayer teams they'll have the books right here if you want prayer for something they'll pray with you if you have questions they can help you if you just want to get the booklet and go that's fine too come up to one of the teams they'll help you out or as you leave on the right there's an info center in the lobby stop by the info center there are people there who have booked the next seven days they'd love to give it to you and help you on your journey. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you today.
1: Awesome. Such a great message. Great service. We're just so glad you are all here. It's been great being in church with you this morning. We've got a few more things we're going to do before we conclude, so if you don't mind just holding tight for a few more moments. You know, this is the time in our service when we worship God with our giving, and you'll see on the screens the different ways in which you can give. You can give digitally, or if you wish to give in person, you can do that. There are giving envelopes on the chair backs, and there are giving stations located on the sidewalls just before you exit the auditorium and another one in the foyer right outside the Bridge Kids area. But, you know, as we give today, we just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Together, our collective giving is making a difference in so many people's lives across the globe through our missions efforts and here locally through all of our different outreaches and our community care programs. And we're just so grateful for each and every person's giving. You truly are making a difference in people's lives. We want to thank you for that. And I also want to tell you about a new opportunity that we all have to make a difference in our local community here. You know, if you've been around the Bridge Church for any number of years, you would know that every August, we hold our biggest community outreach event of the year, our Back to School Bash. We have given away thousands of backpacks to students here in the Valley and the surrounding areas. But you know, we have noticed over the last few years that it seems that the need is decreasing because there's so many more organizations in the Valley putting on similar events. And that's great, everyone's trying to help meet a need. But we especially noticed last year a decline in the need. And so we got to thinking, okay, we want our outreach, our investment in our community to be as fruitful as possible. So how can we do that? We put our heads together to see how can we really make a bigger difference in our community. And we got thinking about it and decided that if we can bring the light and love of Jesus into our public schools, that is what we want to do. And so this year, we are going to be reaching out to the teachers in some of our local public schools with the goal of building building relationship with them uh, making an open door with them ultimately an open door in the schools and really Wanting to build that relationship so that we can eventually identify students and families through the schools that are really in need who we can minister to as well. And so we have been in communication with the principals of three schools, Chaparral High School. Bella Vista Middle School and Nicholas Valley Elementary School. All three schools who are very close to us here geographically. Also, two of them who we have a bit of connection with because of our uh, student clubs on their campuses. And so it's a total of about 220 teachers that we are going to be reaching out to. And we are going to be showing up on their campuses on Thursday, August. 11th. It's their first in-service teacher day. And so all of the teachers are required to be there for a uh meetings and sessions that day and we've arranged this with the principals. We are going to get there really early in the morning, provide continental breakfast for the teachers and the staff who's there. We are going to be unloading trucks full of boxes with supplies to stock their classrooms because teachers are required to do that out of their own pockets. So we want to help with that. Yeah. And then we hope that we'll be able to also provide just a special gift of appreciation for each teacher to let them know how valued and loved by God they are. And so that is what we're looking to do. And there are ways that each and every one of us can be involved with that. The first way is through prayer. And we want to ask you to please make this a matter of prayer. Let's be praying that these teachers will have soft, open hearts, that they'll recognize that this is the love of God being extended to them. It'll open doors in their life and in the schools as well, all right? And then the second way that we can be involved is through serving at this event. Uh, On Thursday, August 11th, we're going to show up early, like I said, with three teams, different teams going to each school campus. If you would like to be part of that, we'd love to have you be part of that. It's an early morning. We need to get there about 6.30 in the morning, but we should be done by 10.30. And so you can sign up to help that day, or you can sign up for the Monday beforehand, August 8th. We will be filling the boxes with all the classroom supplies here in our church offices on Monday, August 8th at 10 a.m. So if you go on the Bridge Church app, you'll see the graphic for teacher celebration. If you click on that, you'll see how you can sign up to volunteer for either day right there. Or we've got a counter set up in the lobby, right between the glass doors. You'll see the monitor above it says teacher celebration. Stop by there and you can sign up there as well, all right? Now, the third way that we can be involved in this event is through our giving. You know, stocking 220 classrooms is actually much, much more costly than the backpacks. But we believe that if we make a big investment in our community, it is going to bear big eternal fruit. And so if you would like to give towards this event, you can just indicate on your offering that it is for the teacher appreciation Online, If you give digitally, you'll see it as one of the options. Or you can just write teacher appreciation on your check or giving envelope. All right. And if you own a business and you would like to be a corporate sponsor, we would love to include your business name on our list of sponsors that will be going in every box to every teacher. And you can stop by the counter out in the foyer or call the office. Tomorrow, to find out how to go about being a corporate sponsor, we would love to partner with you in that way. All right, you know, we just believe that with the love of Jesus, we can make a big impact in the lives of the people who are impacting future generations. So thank you so much for partnering with us in that way. All right, the counter's out in the foyer, the prayer teams will be right here down front as we dismiss and let's also go out and celebrate with those being baptized over in the corner of the foyer. God bless you, have a great day.